0: chapter 7 of recollections of the civil war this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by k hand recollections of the civil war by charles dana chapter 7 hemberton's surrender the artillery assault of june 20 mcpherson springs a mine Grant decides to storm the city, Pemberton asks for an interview and terms, the unconditional surrender note, at the meeting of Grant and Pemberton between the lines, the ride into Vicksburg and the 4th of July celebration there. Two days after McClernand's removal, General Grant attempted to sendle the question whether he should make a further attempt to storm Vicksburg or leave its reduction to the regular progress of siege operations to test what an assault would do he began at four o'clock on the morning of june twentieth an artillery attack in which about two hundred cannon were engaged during the attack no confederates were visible nor was any reply made to our artillery their musketry fire also amounted to nothing of course some damage was done to the buildings of the town by our concentrated cannonade but we could not tell whether their mills foundry or storehouses were destroyed their rifle-pits and defenses were little injured at ten o'clock the cannonade ceased it was evident that the probabilities of immediate success by assault would not compensate for the sacrifices after the artillery attack on the twentieth the next exciting incident of the siege was the springing of a mine by mcpherson directly in front of his position the enemy had a great fort which was regarded as the key of their line As soon as McPherson had got into position behind Vicksburg, he had begun to run trenches toward this fort, under which he subsequently tunneled, hoping that by an explosion he would open it to our occupation. The mine was sprung about four o'clock on the afternoon of June 25th. It was charged with twelve hundred pounds of powder. The explosion was terrific, forming a crater fully thirty-five feet in diameter, but it did not open the fort there still remained between the new ground which we had gained by the explosion and the main works of the fort an ascent so steep that an assault was practically impossible the enemy very soon opened a galling fire from within the fort with shells with short fuses thrown over the ridge by hand like grenades and these did some execution the wounds inflicted by these missiles were frightful to this we replied as actively as possible and this conflict between parties invisible to each other not only on account of the darkness but also on account of the barrier between them was kept up with fury during the night and the next forenoon immediately on the springing of the mine a tremendous cannonade was opened along our whole line accompanied by active firing from the rifle-pits this fire was continued with little relaxation during the night and the next day after several days of this kind of warfare we had made no progress whatever not being able either to plant a battery or to open a rifle pit upon the new ground eventually mcpherson completed another mine which he exploded on the first day of july many confederates were killed and six were thrown over into our lines by the explosion they were all dead but one a negro who got well and joined our army mcpherson did not however get possession of the place through this mine as he had hoped little advancement was made in the siege after mcpherson sprang his first mine on the twenty-fifth of june except in the matter of time and in the holding of the lines of investment several things conspired to produce inactivity and a sort of listlessness among the various commands the heat of the weather the unexpected length of the siege the endurance of the defence the absence of any thorough organization of the engineer department and above all the well-grounded general belief of our officers and men that the town must presently fall through starvation without any special effort or sacrifice this belief was founded on the reports from within vicksburg every new party of deserters which reached us agreed that the provisions of the place were near the point of total exhaustion that rations had been reduced lower than ever that extreme dissatisfaction existed among the garrison and it was generally expected indeed there was a sort of conviction on all hands that the city would be surrendered on saturday july fourth if indeed it could hold out so long as that While apathy grew in our ranks, the Confederates displayed more activity than ever. On the morning of june twenty seventh, they sprang a countermine on Sherman's front, which destroyed the mines Sherman's engineers had nearly finished, and threw the head of his sap into general confusion. McPherson was prevented from taking possession of the fort, which had been partially destroyed. Ord's, lately mcclernand's, working parties which were now well up to the Confederate lines, were checked by hand grenades. Lauman was almost nightly assailed by little sorties of the enemy, and always lost a few men in them, killed, wounded, or captured. The operations west of the Mississippi became more threatening, too. Our scouts brought in word that Price and Kirby Smith were about to attempt to provision Vicksburg by way of Milliken's Bend there were rumors also that some two thousand or more skiffs had been prepared within the town by which it was thought the garrison might escape the general indisposition of our troops to prosecute the siege zealously and the evident determination on the part of the enemy to hold out until the last caused general grant to hold a council of war on the morning of june thirtieth to take judgment on the question of trying another general assault or leaving the results to the exhaustion of the garrison the conclusion of the council was in favor of the latter policy but two days later july second grant told me that if the enemy did not give up vicksburg by the sixth he should storm it happily there was no need to wait until the sixth the general expectation that something would happen by july fourth was about to be confirmed on the morning of Friday, July 3rd, a soldier appeared on the Confederate line, in McPherson's front, bearing a flag of truce. General A.J. Smith was sent to meet this man, who proved to be an officer, General J.S. Bowen. He bore a letter from Pemberton addressed to Grant. The letter was taken to headquarters, where it was read by the General, and its contents were made known to the staff it was a request for an armistice to arrange terms for the capitulation of vicksburg to this end pemberton asked that three commissioners be appointed to meet a like number to be named by himself grant immediately wrote this reply the useless effusion of blood you propose stopping by this course can be ended at any time you may choose by an unconditional surrender of the city and garrison men who have shown so much endurance and courage as those now in vicksburg will always challenge the respect of an adversary and i can assure you will be treated with all the respect due to prisoners of war i do not favor the proposition of appointing commissioners to arrange terms of capitulation because i have no terms other than those indicated above bowen the bearer of pemberton's letter who had been received by a j smith expressed a strong desire to converse with General Grant. While declining this, Grant requested Smith to say to Bowen that if General Pemberton desired to see him, an interview would be granted between the lines in McPherson's front at any hour in the afternoon which Pemberton might appoint. After Bowen's departure, a message was soon sent back to Smith accepting the proposal for an interview and appointing three o'clock as the hour. Grant was there with his staff, and with Generals Ord, McPherson, Logan, and A.J. Smith. Sherman was not present, being with his command watching Joe Johnston, and ready to spring upon the latter as soon as Pemberton was captured. Pemberton came late, attended by General Bowen and Colonel L.M. Montgomery. It must have been a bitter moment for the Confederate chieftain. Pemberton was a northern man, a Pennsylvanian by birth, from which state he was appointed to West Point, graduating in 1837. In the old army he fell under the spell of the influence of Jefferson Davis, whose close friend he was. Davis appears to have thought Pemberton was a military genius, for he was jumped almost at a stroke, without much previous service, to be a lieutenant-general, and the defense of the Mississippi River was given over to his charge. His dispositions throughout the entire campaign, after Grant crossed at Bruinsburg, were weak, and he was easily overcome, although his troops fought well. As Joe Johnston truthfully remarks in his narrative, Pemberton did not understand Grant's warfare at all. Penned up and finally compelled to surrender a vital post and a great army to his conqueror, an almost irremediable disaster to his cause— Pemberton not only suffered the usual pangs of defeat, but he was doubly humiliated by the knowledge that he would be suspected and accused of treachery by his adopted brethren, and that the results would be used by the enemies of Davis, whose favorite he was, to undermine the Confederate administration. As the events proved, it was indeed a great blow to Davis's hold upon the people of the South." These things must have passed through Pemberton's mind as he faced Grant for this final settlement of the fate of Vicksburg. The conversation was held apart between Pemberton and his two officers, and Grant, McPherson, and A.J. Smith, the rest of us being seated on the ground nearby. We could, however, see that Pemberton was much excited, and was impatient in his answers to Grant. He insisted that his army be paroled, and allowed to march beyond our line, officers and all with eight days rations drawn from their own stores officers to retain their private property and body servants grant heard what pemberton had to say and left him at the end of an hour and a half saying that he would send in his ultimatum in writing before evening to this pemberton promised to reply before night hostilities to cease in the meantime grant then conferred at his headquarters with his corps and division commanders all of whom except Steele who advised unconditional surrender, favored a plan proposed by McPherson, and finally adopted by Grant. The argument against the plan was one of feeling only. In its favor it was urged that it would at once not only tend to the demoralization of the enemy, but also release Grant's whole army for offensive operations against Joe Johnston and Port Hudson, while to guard and transport so many prisoners would require a great portion of our army's strength. Keeping the prisoners would also absorb all our steamboat transportation, while paroling them would leave it free to move our troops. Paroling would also save us an enormous expenditure. After long consideration, General Grant reluctantly gave way to these reasons, and at six o'clock in the afternoon he sent a letter by the hands of General Logan and Lieutenant Colonel Wilson, in which he stated as terms that, as soon as rolls could be made out and paroles signed by officers and men, Pemberton would be allowed to march out of our lines, the officers taking with them their sidearms and clothing, and the field, staff, and cavalry officers one horse each. The rank and file were to retain all their clothing, but no other property. If these conditions were accepted, any amount of rations deemed necessary was to be taken from the stores they had, besides the necessary cooking utensils thirty wagons also counting two two two-horse or mule teams as one were to be allowed to transport such articles as could not be carried along the same conditions were allowed to all sick and wounded officers and soldiers as fast as they became able to travel the officer who received this letter stated that it would be impossible to answer it by night and it was not till a little before peep of day that the reply was furnished in the main the terms were accepted but Pemberton proposed as amendments. At 10 a.m. tomorrow I propose to evacuate the works in and around Vicksburg and to surrender the city and garrison under my command by marching out with my colors and arms, stacking them in front of my present lines, after which you will take possession. Officers to retain their sidearms and personal property and the rights and property of citizens to be respected. General Grant immediately replied, I can make no stipulations with regard to the treatment of citizens and their private property. The property which the officers will be allowed to take with them will be as stated in my proposition of last evening. If you mean by your proposition for each brigade to march to the front of the line now occupied by it, and stack arms at 10 a.m., and then return to the inside and there remain as prisoners until properly paroled, I will make no objection to it should no notification be received of your acceptance of my terms by nine a m i shall regard them as having been rejected and shall act accordingly the answer came back promptly the terms proposed by you are accepted we had a glorious celebration that day pemberton's note had been received just after daylight and at the appointed hour of ten o'clock the surrender was consummated the confederate troops marching out and stacking arms in front of their works while pemberton appeared for a moment with his staff upon the parapet of the central fort at eleven o'clock grant entered the city he was received by pemberton with more marked impertinence than at their former interview grant bore it like a philosopher and in reply treated pemberton with even gentler courtesy and dignity than before i rode into Vicksburg at the side of the conqueror and afterward perambulated among the conquered the confederate soldiers were generally more contented even than we were now they were going home they said they had had enough of the war the cause of the confederacy was lost they wanted to take the oath of allegiance many of them I was not surprised to learn a month later that of the twenty-odd thousand well-men who were paroled at Vicksburg, the greater part had since dispersed, and I felt sure they could never be got to serve again. The officers, on the other hand, all declared their determination never to give in. They had mostly on that day the look of men who have been crying all night. One major, who commanded a regiment from Missouri, burst into tears as he followed his disarmed men back into their lines after they had surrendered their colors and the guns in front of them i found the buildings of vicksburg much less damaged than i had expected still there were a good many people living in caves dug in the banks naturally the shells did less damage to these vaults than to dwellings there was a considerable supply of railroad cars in the town with one or two railroad locomotives in working condition there was also an unexpected quantity of military supplies. At the end of the first week, after our entrance, sixty-six thousand stand of small arms had been collected, mainly in good condition, and more were constantly being discovered. They were concealed in caves, as well as in all sorts of buildings. The siege and sea coast guns found exceeded sixty, and the whole captured artillery was above two hundred pieces. The stores of Rebel ammunition also proved to be surprisingly heavy. As Grant expressed it, there was enough to have kept up the defense for six years at the rate they were using it. The stock of Army clothing was officially invoiced at $5 million Confederate prices. Of sugar, molasses, and salt there was a large quantity, and 60,000 pounds of bacon were found in one place. The way in which Grant handled his army at the capitulation of Vicksburg was a splendid example of his energy. As soon as negotiations for surrender began on the 3rd, he sent word to Sherman, at his camp on Bear Creek, to get ready to move against Johnston. Sherman always acted on the instant, and that very afternoon he threw bridges across the Big Black. He started his forces over the river on the 4th, as soon as he received word that Pemberton had accepted Grant's ultimatum. In the meantime, Grant had ordered part of Ord's Corps, all of Steele's division, and the two divisions of the Ninth Corps, which was at Haines's Bluff, to be ready to join Sherman as soon as the capitulation was effected. Their movement was so prompt that by Sunday night, July 5th, part of Ord's forces was across the Big Black, and Steele was well up to the river as grant supposed that banks needed help at port hudson he had sent a messenger to him on the first of the month telling him the surrender was imminent and offering aid if he needed it a division that of heron was now made ready to march as soon as word came back in the city itself there was the greatest activity the occupation of the place by our forces was directed by general mcpherson who was appointed to the command three divisions were detailed to garrison the line of fortifications and to furnish the guards for the interior of the city by the night of the fifth no troops remained outside of vicksburg the paroling of the confederate troops began as soon as the occupation was complete and was pushed with all possible rapidity At the same time, those parts of the fortifications which we were now to defend were selected, and the men began to obliterate the siege approaches at which they had worked so hard and long. So busy was Grant with the mobilization of his army for offensive field operations and the garrisoning of Vicksburg, that he did not take time even to write to Washington my telegram of july fifth to mr stanton describing the surrender and the conditions of things in vicksburg conveyed this request from grant for instructions from washington general grant being himself intensely occupied desires me to say that he would like to receive from general Halleck, as soon as practicable either general or specific instructions as to the future conduct of the war in his department he has no idea of going into summer quarters nor does he doubt his ability to employ his army so as to make its blows tell toward the great result, but he would like to be informed whether the government wishes him to follow his own judgment or to cooperate in some particular scheme of operations. With the fall of Vicksburg, my mission was at an end. On the sixth of July, I left grant for the north, stopping at Helena, Arkansas, on my way up the river long enough to get news of general prentiss's recent operations thence i went on to cairo and washington chapter seven